Our reading this morning comes from uh, Acts chapter 10 and 11. Hear now the word of the Lord. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to, to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now, send to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants, and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the household about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were, while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals, and reptiles, and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill, and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them, into, he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he called together his relatives and close, close, close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. 
So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he has sent to Israel, preaching good news, good news of peace through, through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who, who, were, upset, who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that, he, all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him up on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the, the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets who bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come, come with Peter, Peter were amazed, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Now the apostles and the brothers who were, who, who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained to them in order. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. The word of the Lord. Good morning, I'm Howard Brown, the senior pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, as we continue in our sermon series in the book of Acts, last week we saw the conversion to faith in Christ Jesus of the most unlikely in Saul. A terrorist of Christians who would become the Apostle Paul, the greatest God-breathed inspired writer in Christianity. And just when you, and especially these apostles back then, thought that the gospel had gone as far as it could to their half-breed brothers and sisters of Samaria, God pushes things further. And it forces the new church and us to ask this question, who can be saved by Jesus? Who is able to be offered and receive eternal life? Who is able to get forgiveness of sins? Who has deserved and earned or who is best qualified for salvation? I mean, truly, what kind of people make the best Christians or Christians at all? 
I believe we struggle with similar questions when it comes to the expression of our faith, our cultural expressions, especially and when we think about how history has rolled out with some people representing oppressors and others representing the oppressed. It is hard, especially in this country like ours, for obvious examples were slavery and Jim Crow, the glass ceiling, sexism, unfair wages have divided and divide us along ethnic, gender, and economic lines. To not wonder who is the faithful and not. Who has themselves fooled about whether they are the Lord's or not? Because their behavior and lifestyle seem to say anything but. Can they really be called to be the Lord's? Can we really be called to be the Lord's? To be the face and people of God for real? Yes, for real. Anyone this scripture is teaching us can be in the faith if God wants them to. Because it is the Lord himself who prepares the way, who shows the way, and then who makes the way. This passage starts out telling the story of Cornelius, a non-Jewish, a Roman military leader, strange enough described as what in verse 2 In chapter 10, a devout man who feared God with all his household gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. What this meant is that God had apparently began to change and direct Cornelius' heart right where and as he was, thus the word devout, to make his heart devout, prepared for the gospel, prepared to receive Jesus. But on the other side of the coin, God was preparing Peter, an apostle, for a deepened understanding of the gospel. The Bible says that Peter was hanging out in all places, Joppa, at the home of Simon the Tanner, a devout Jew, an Orthodox Jew staying in Samaria. Jews didn't even pass through that area, though it was the quickest route to Judea. They took their version of 485 to get home to avoid this unclean place and people. And if that weren't bad enough, He was staying with a tanner, someone who dealt with dead animals and carcasses and blood, stuff an Orthodox Jew was not supposed to be around. What was going on? His heart and his life had been softened by God, by the conversion of his half-brothers and sisters in Samaria. And he began to believe that they too could be saved. This was God's doing in his heart. And then the Bible says that both men had a vision, one to Cornelius from an angel telling him to go get and bring Peter to him in Caesarea, and a more complex vision to Peter of a three times in a row Gentile picnic that prepared him for three Gentiles who were coming to get him, and for him, an Orthodox Jew, to accept them and then go with them to Caesarea. And Peter, an Orthodox Jew, invites these men in. And Cornelius, a high society Gentile leader, welcomes them the dregs of Roman society. An Orthodox fisherman, Jesus cult following Jew. And Cornelius gives Peter the highest welcome. And Peter gives Cornelius his highest calling as a Christian Orthodox Jew. 
And you know what we so easily overlook here when we hear this story or if whatever we've read this before? They each had friends from their side of things. Cornelius has Gentile house guests, and Peter brings some Jewish comrades. They bring their lives and reputation in the room with them. Now, how do we get, how did they, how did we get to this unusual place and and what many will call a lapse in judgment for a Gentile leader and a Jewish Orthodox man? This should have never happened. But you can't tell the sovereign God who rules, rules over the lives and hearts of people Everywhere, all at the same time, you can't tell that God never. God with these visions opened real doors. The Lord is the cause and effect of this event in their lives. He led them there. He, he's been preparing them and he called them to this moment all their lives. One who was too right of the gospel in Peter and too far left in Cornelius. And God does what couldn't and shouldn't be done by you and me. He orchestrates by his sovereignty. He makes and prepares the way for both men to to come to the gospel and grow in faith with him. Again, it would not have happened to a Roman and a devout Jew. It is impossible. A boundary that only the Lord himself could have softened and massaged hearts and twist lives enough to make them, to to lead them across, to believe across, and then actually to step across, going against anything and everything they believe, making what were sure and straight passing them ethnically crooked, making what were crooked passing them ethnically and religiously and socially straight for what the Lord was doing in his own way. Regardless of where they were, and you are, and those who would come to faith in Jesus, that's anyone that could be anywhere in their heart and life spiritually or circumstantially, you and they and them can be and are directed and ordered by the Lord. This week I remembered a friend of mine from my college days. His name is Monty Botts. George was laughing because we had a little episode in the office about Monty Botts. Monty Botts was what you call the crazy campus preacher. One student, just some old guy with a real close shaven head, wearing all white in the amphitheater, lifting his hands, just walking around saying, the blood of the lamb, the blood of the lamb with a little Gideon Bible, a little green Gideon Bible. He liked to hang around with the weed-smoking crowd, too. They'd be smoking weed, dancing, going crazy, the blood of the lamb. This guy walking around, crazy man, but Jesus. He'd go to the football games and hold up a sign, the blood of the lamb. Or salvation today, or something like that. And so I'm walking through the amphitheater, and my first semester at Clemson was wild. I wasn't living faithfully. I remember walking through the amphitheater, I guess it was like halfway through semesters, and I mean, beginning of the second semester of my freshman year, I'm walking by. Okay, let me be careful here. The Lord said to me, Howard, go talk to that crazy man. And you need to go to him and let him pray for you for boldness and for you can repent and begin to follow me strong again. I was like, mm-mm. 
because I begin to scan the amphitheater area for all the beautiful girls, you know. Who's going to see me? All the dudes, you know. I'm going to lose cool points going down there with this white man, you crazy white man. I went down there. He's like, brother, I saw you from afar. And the Lord told me you were going to come to be prayed for. And I'm like, okay, let's go somewhere. No, we're going to do it right here in the amphitheater. <laughs> the blood of the lamb, brother. Anyway. He prayed for me, and then he said, hey, let me tell you, let's go to this prayer meeting with some brothers of ours. I'm like, this has turned out to be a real cult situation here. So I go into the room here in one of the buildings at Clemson's, one of the chemistry buildings, and they had an open room. I don't know if it was open or whether they just went in there. And I entered this room, and in that room were some of the best Christian brothers that I would walk with the Lord, walk with, with the Lord for the next three years of my faith at Clemson. Those brothers in that room, those men and women in that room, about six or seven crazy ones, right? I mean, we ended up going to RUF together, Reform University Fellowship, which then led me to go to Covenant Seminary and discover all this Presbyterian stuff, and here I am. But, you know, I begin to wonder, how was I even crazy enough to go to Monty Bus? I don't know if y'all know, when I became a believer in eighth grade, I cut my teeth on the charismatic power stuff, you know. Um, and, 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 you know and so when I saw this crazy man and thought, maybe God may be calling me to talk to him, it wasn't crazy to me. I'd been in crazy places to see God. My mom came to faith first, first, and I remember us going in these backwoods, no lit, one room cinder blocks with one light hanging, prophetess laying hands on people while all the time you're trying to duck the flying roaches. And I wondered if stuff like that would prime me for, for God speaking and coming in weird places. Maybe I am comfortable being in a neighborhood theater for worship because early in my faith in high school, I attended a Bible study in an inner-city, black-led, highly seminary-trained, reformed, charismatic church that met in an old cigar factory in Charleston. Maybe it's on those trips to, the, to, to do prison ministry. But I don't want to get self-indulgent, but I am where I am, and you are where you are, and even came closer to the Lord because the Lord spoke to your heart and moved around and mixed around and shifted and sifted through some crazy circumstances and relationships in your life that no one at the time could with any certainty, even you, that this is what the Lord was doing. But he was through hard times and halfway spiritual things and halfway bad and good decisions you made and stupid following of your heart to bring you and me and them closer to the gospel closer to Christ. Which means this. It doesn't matter to the Lord where and how you are or where they are or where they have been or we have come from. The Lord made and makes a road that connected these two men in this Bible and their lives and hearts to one salvation that was not there before. The Lord can and has through what you and I. By the way, I did find Monty on Facebook. He's like, were you one of the brothers at Clemson that I stayed with? Yeah, you stay with me. Let me tell you a story. So we had the Clemson game, and I, I was in a band, and, get, you know, games going on. And all of a sudden, I look, and there's Monty with a sign at the Clemson game. He said, brother, I'd put it down when the plays were going, and I'd put it back up, you know. And so that was the same day maybe Strom Thurmond and a couple governors and senators were visiting, some kind of dedication to some governmental building. So it was tight security. He got in the game because he found, like, a stub of a ticket. The Lord was working. That brother said, the Lord was working. I got a stub of a ticket. And he's, one of the football players got hurt. He decided to go on the field and pray for the man. He got handcuffed on the feet, the leg, every, I mean, he was out of there. The blood of the lamb going out. 
I don't know why. I just had to complete the story for you, just so you know, because if you were one of those brothers I stayed with after I was in jail and y'all came and got me and stayed in your dorm room with you, and I remember the, the cop, uh, the Clemson cop guy saying, you kids going to wake up with a knife in your back. It was Jesus time, man. Who cared? We were crazy for the gospel. I wouldn't do it now. Unless the Lord gave me a vision like Cornelius or Peter or something like that. The Lord can and has through what you and I and others see as random events in our lives and emotions, not only prepared a way, but to by the power of his choice. Make a road, a way into most remote places of people's hearts and lives to bring his salvation to them. Now, remember from chapter 1, the word for power, uh, chapter 1 of Acts was the word dunamis, dynamite. And we see that happening here when the gospel is spoken. I'm not going to read all this for you, but through verse 34 through 43, as we've read, is Peter giving the simple gospel. And he preaches the gospel. And then in verse 44, it says this. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit were poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. The Lord literally blows a hole, a tunnel in the hearts of those Gentiles who had never believed before. And then they show the evidence of belief in the gospel, speaking in tongues and praising God by the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit, just like the Jews who received and believed in Jesus did. But they are not the only ones who were blown away by this manifestation and powerful working of the Lord. Look again at verse 45. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. They too were blown away by what God could do. They didn't know. These Jews along with Peter at that time only believed that God would give Jesus and his spirit to those who had fully become Jews which Cornelius had not, having not been circumcised and following the Jewish religious laws. They realized that the powerful saving work of God, that's God's decision and choice to save anyone he wants, meant that he could take hold of anyone's hearts, even the Gentiles and even theirs. Those who would have one second ago been opposed to Gentiles coming in. It was nothing short of a belief miracle. And by baptizing them, these Gentiles, Peter was declaring the church says yes to God's powerful choice to do this. But not only were the Gentiles extolling and worshiping God because of his powerful choice to do this, but the leaders back in Jerusalem basically had the same or similar response as the Gentiles did when they heard the gospel. Look with me at verse 17 in chapter 11. So Peter tells them the story. That's what chapter 11 in the beginning is. Peter retells the story. And then they said, if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I, Peter says, that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Their hearts were powerfully moved. God had tunneled into them to an expanded understanding of the gospel. God added a few more lanes on the narrow road 
to him. The Bible says they went silent. Like they were admitting it was God's choice. We, we dare not speak against what God has done. And then they couldn't help but praise God and Jesus for what he really was and what he truly was able and obviously doing to save anyone he wants. This is why the Apostle Paul later writes, interestingly enough, to Christians in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or Gentile. What does this powerful salvation mean? God can and has with power chosen to make a way for people, for all people, an on-ramp from wherever they are and come from, to the oppressed and the oppressors, the down and the up, the high and the low, the insiders and the outsiders, those in the penthouse or the outhouse, the rich and the poor, the ethnic and the double ethnic. There is nothing, no denomination or classification or socialization or naturalization or sin patternization or suburbanation or urbanization or gentrification or whatever nation or station anyone may be in that can stop or hold back or guard against his power to reach who and when he wants to reach them. It is only by the power of God's sovereign choice in reaching anyone he chooses. When God dropped that Jones... When he dropped that gospel power on you or them or us, when God the Holy Spirit comes with a conversion, it is a wrap, man. It is done. It is the gospel. It is the way the Lord has worked and decided to make his way through anything to save anyone he wants. It is the power of his choice. But also strange enough, it's about the prejudice of his choice. Y'all didn't know God was prejudiced? I'll tell you how. The reason the Jerusalem council was silent and shocked and then broke out an all impromptu worship session, and the folks with Paul were amazed when the Spirit fell upon those Gentiles, is that God was definitely looking like he was about to do a new thing. He was letting folk come in the side door, in the back door, And we will soon see in the window, too, to him through Christ. Had God abandoned the Jewish front door and with it all the feast and the festivals and the laws and most importantly, circumcision, the outward sign that you belong to God? That's like telling a Southern Baptist that God wants them to do outreach by using their baptism pools for doggy baths during the week. It ain't right. You don't touch that thing. You didn't even look at that thing hard. See, God was calling what considered what they considered sacred or prejudice to a greater prejudice. Let's look at back at this vision that Peter received in verse 9. And yes, we're going to read through this a little bit. This is Peter as he's receiving his vision. The next is they were on their journey and approaching the city. Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. Right in the midday. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. You ever be so hungry, you fall into a trance, you just be dizzy hungry? Maybe that's just me. But this has never happened to me. And he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means. 
beasts. For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him, came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, for those of you who didn't know, the Jews were the first to do all this. Don't eat pork and don't eat this or that thing way before the Muslims and the health food folk did it. And so when God tells Peter to get up and kill and eat, even on a hungry stomach. You ever been so hungry you think a worm isn't that bad? Maybe I'm just greedy. Or a fresh rat. Not a skinny one, one of the fat ones with a lot of meat on it. That's when you're really hungry, you start thinking like that, looking at your dog and your cat. But even on a hungry stomach, this was a morally unappealing picnic blanket. Here's the point God was making. If it's on my, that's God's blanket, if it's on my menu, if this is what I am serving up when it comes to salvation, it is what I want, and it is what the gospel is going to be about, you must stop living and turning your nose up to the width and length and depth reach that, that the reach that the gospel is going to have. And what was real interesting to me about this blanket was that it was a mix of stuff that he could eat and couldn't eat. To even dine with such a mixture of what he would know is clean and unclean altogether on the same plate, like the syrup from your pancakes touching the eggs, it would just be wrong for him. But God was doing a new thing. He was not just saying Gentiles, non-Jews would be a part of Christianity. But get this, that Jews mixed in with Gentiles, that the gospel create a mutt community of all kinds of people being brought together, touching each other and, and hanging out all together in God's blanket of love by God under Christ. And Peter goes on to Cornelius' gospel party and says this in response to the vision, verse 28. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Ask then why you sent for me. And then in verse 34, so Peter opened his mouth after Cornelius says, I got a vision and in the vision, the angel told me you were going to tell me something good. Some good news. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. What can we learn from this? What what we can learn from this is that when it comes to salvation and church and being his people, God is very prejudiced. He only wants people who come by faith in Christ alone. He is refusing, because he's prejudiced, to let people come because they believe they are favored or better or more holy or had a better chance at knowing God or because they didn't do those sins or because they were excluded because they did did two bad things or voted this way or dated this person back then or like to eat this or that or listen to this music or send their kids to this school or they're better because they homeschool their kids and because they will act like good evangelical right-wing Christians or because they will be good left-wing socially conscious liberal Christians who are all about the poor or because they are black or because they are white or God. 
God-fearing, American-loving, flag-waving types, or because they are anti-establishment like Jesus was, or because they are charismatic and like the shout in church, or can't be as saved because they are quiet in church, or can't be as serious about God, or, or they're just overly emotional, or because they are Reformed or Arminian, or because they baptize your children and not, or because their music stinks and ours is awesome, or because they still struggle with this sin or that sin, or you're better because you didn't? No! God is way more prejudiced than that. He only wants common folk. Folk who are not clean by any power of their own to be called and made and declared righteous only by Jesus. One version of the Bible says that there were all sorts of creepy things on that sheet for Peter to eat. And one commentator I read said that if you are the creepiest person and yet find yourself saved by grace in Jesus, you no longer are called creepy, though you in your life may be. You are declared holy. If you are on that sheet, sheet creep, creepy one, I'm creepy. Y'all creepy. We all creepy to somebody else, okay, in some way. You may look right when you go to work. When we go home and see you do some things, you, what you like to watch on TV, listen, y'all are creepy. God loves and wants creepy and common and unclean people that see themselves and treat and consider each other holy and right only because of God's prejudiced decision that he will favor no person or no resume above the rest, but only look for and apply and admit by one thing, Faith in Christ alone, not changed behavior, not being perfect, not giving up the cigarettes or the booze might be a good thing, not coming on staff, not going and promising to witness to the world, not listening to Christian music only, not changing the way you dress, but salvation being a saved person for me and you means this, by trusting that Jesus came, lived, died, and rose, and that he is your goodness for you before God and not your own. That is the gospel, and God is prejudiced for it to be that wide and deep and Christ-given and received. I'm glad that we sang that song, I Give Myself Away. When God is prejudiced for you, to be loved by no righteousness of your own, he takes you, accepts you, and when that happens, you become and give your life away as a testimony of his grace. When Peter shows up, Cornelius says this to him, verse 30. Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. There's no H at the end. Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send, therefore, to drop and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. That's kind of confusing. Can I see Simon? Oh, not you, the other Simon. Anyway. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Then it says Peter's response. So Peter opened his mouth and said, It is a testimony. A simple. This is what the Lord has done for us and in us. Cornelius' testimony was a simple sharing of God's work in him, hearing. And, 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 and that testimony in turn prompted Peter to grow in his understanding of what the gospel was about and preach it. 
Ironically, Cornelius' testimony is given and sent by God to give the gospel to Peter, who comes to bring the message and the gospel to, to Cornelius. And then Peter testifies, tells what happened with Cornelius in details for the council. Now, he's a little bit more astute and deliberate, telling him, telling the council that he had prayed that he had a vision, that he had confirmation, and that he witnessed and had brought Jewish witnesses who saw what had happened. And they rejoiced. The Bible says that they said, what? Then to the Gentiles also God has granted, granted repentance. That is, that it is by faith in Christ alone that we are saved by the word of Peter's testimony of what God had done. You know what Revelation says about believers? And people coming through tribulation, coming through the hard times and suffering that this life will give, through the confusing messages, through the attempts to hijack and change the gospel and make it racist or sectarian or, or whatever wing you want or, or politically this or that, false teachers and wrong messages and all of that. It says that they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. What does that mean? Well, the blood part means that God is promising by a covenant in blood to keep you regardless of what comes against you or what happens in your life or this world. But it also means this, that you and I will keep each other alive, that we will drive ourselves and others toward the truth as we describe our lives and our experiences as the Lord powerfully works in them, that the actions of God are our story. It is the meta-narrative and all that we have gone through and will go through, and that kind of sharing will keep the devil and the world and the flesh at bay. We must share what the Lord has done for us, not only so that others will believe and keep believing, so that when others hear, they and we will be convinced and reconvinced that the gospel is true. We can so easily declare ourselves worthy or unworthy in ways we shouldn't. So often we can declare ourselves lost and broken and forgotten, left out in ways that God has not, that we need to share. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I think God is saying to me. And sometimes when you share your testimony, it is so that you can be corrected and led in the right way. And other times sharing your testimony means that someone who's been thinking wrongly about what God has done in their lives can say, wow, maybe I got it wrong. But we share it with the prejudice of God's choice that yes, even me, even I was loved by God. That God did something, y'all, that I couldn't or didn't deserve for myself. People who are like you or unlike you begin to see and say what? Jesus for you? Like that in, in this way? If you creeped in, then maybe I can creep into the calling and acceptance of God's grace too. If you creepy self is on that sheet, then maybe Jesus for me too and us too and people who are like me. Give your life away. Because when you do as a believer, you give the works and the evidence of God away too. It is okay and right to talk about what Jesus has done. What you hope for in him to do or what you trust in him to do and look kind of crazy. Some of y'all are trying to sell some homes now. You're crazy. What's going to be your story? Well, we analyzed the market. Yeah, say some of that to make yourself feel all right. But, you know, we just trusted and praying the Lord would sell the house. 
Ooh, Lord. Really? I'm having some issues too. Maybe I should try to pray to that God. Y'all kind of smart and y'all praying. Maybe I should pray too. He would hear me too about a house, about a job, about a car, about things I think God doesn't care about. You're saying God cares about? I say practice it. When I say practice, I mean praise God in your life in a safe place like Peter did with the council, with an elder or pastor. Not only because we want to praise God too, but we want to help you understand what God is doing. You miss so much. I get emails. I get help. When I get emails, I get help in preaching. Right? I hear what God's doing. I'm like, my goodness, the Lord can do that too. I mean, I'm reading all this stuff in Acts, right? I've read the whole thing a few times to prepare for this sermon. I've seen God do some crazy things, raising people from the dead, demons coming out of folk and all that. And I got an email from one of y'all. You know, thought my marriage was over. It's back on. What? Maybe this thing's true. I get creepy too. I'm like, okay, I see this word. That ain't right. All right, let me just put the sermon together. I get an email. The Lord really did some things this week. What? My Lord, you're right. You're real. Your testimonies. It's the fringe benefit of having this job. I get to thank God and enjoy him by hearing what he is doing when, he, when I feel like he ain't doing much in my life. God, you know, I do the same thing. He ain't doing nothing. Nothing's changing. Email. The Lord has done this. Or I'm trusting the Lord has been really hard. I don't know if I'm going to live or die, but I'm trusting and praising Jesus anyway. Oh, my gosh, you ungrateful Howard. I want you to feel free to call or email your elder. Come to the session meeting and tell them. You can come to the session meeting just to testify. That's the place of testimony. Come on in. We got time. We normally did it till 12. We did it till 1. Sorry, guys. Let them bless you. And prophesy over you with the words of God and cover it in prayer. If not an elder, then do it with each other. Testify. You don't have that formal seminary training? Has the Holy Spirit, God, and Jesus done something for you? Just open your mouth like Peter. His mouth open. Mouth. Oh, I'm so Charleston right now. His mouth has H. His mouth opened and out came testimony. Because the hope is the central to the testimony is a telling and story of the gospel. Now, what came out of Peter's mouth? I'm not going to read it through. We've run out of time here. The Bible says Peter didn't go into a teaching on the Sermon of the Mount, on the Mount. <laughs> he didn't go into some deep teaching on Exodus or Leviticus. He could have. Man, blessed by the Holy Spirit, he could have done anything he want right there. The Holy Spirit could have done it. But what You know, the fact that it says he opened his mouth, I mean, just the way that sentence is phrased, so you know, it's almost like, ah, and out comes what God wanted. What did he give? I'm going to let you reread it, but I'm going to tell you. Jesus is Lord. He came, he lived, he died, and rose again for forgiveness of sins, and thus salvation and right standing with him before God. Many like to say the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is the center of the gospel message, which is we are sinners and Jesus is Savior sinners. Now, I have preached for close to 40 minutes now and done stories and actually some passages and illustrations and metaphors and similes and moved around and let my voice go up and down, sweat, move around, made y'all laugh. We have sung and danced and clapped and some cried. And we did it for nothing. 
if the gospel was not at its center. What we do in here is nothing but good but babble and a good concert. Hanak, you can play that organ, Ricky, guitar, Joe, you, all of y'all good. It's a good concert in there. Come for the good concert. Or it's a long and passionate speech. Y'all like looking at me great. Even wore a colorful shirt for you today. Y'all like that? And you know, waste, it's a waste of time. You could have been sleeping in, man. Or if you are now sleeping, you need not feel guilty. Thank you. You bunch of creepy, evil jerks. Thank you. Because you ain't missed much. If the life, death, and resurrection of the Lordship of Jesus is not shaping what we do in here from its top into its bottom. Central to what all believers do. Central to the testimonies and where we love and care for each other and those different than we are. The encouragement, that's the courage to talk about what you are doing through and what God is doing to those you know and even to those who you don't know. The ability to talk to your neighbor about your faith regardless of how messed up you are and they know your life has been or maybe right now. It is the, that the gospel is true and right regardless and for all that is not good and, and for all questions and stages of people. My mama used to say, right is right. Nobody's right. And wrong is wrong if everybody's wrong. The gospel is right. It is never wrong. That that simple message wrapped in, y'all like to wrap it in, y'all artistic, go ahead. But that simple message wrapped in and folded into everything we do, understand this, is the power of God to save people and change us, all kinds of people in all areas of life. You and I and they, if we know Jesus, have a life-changing simple message that changes everything and everybody. Did you know that? If you're a believer in here, if you're not a believer, okay, let me talk to these believers for a minute in here. To take for granted that at the center of their lives, their work, their play, whatever they do, is this message. It should be the life, the death, and resurrection and lordship of Jesus Christ. And that changes the world. I know that sounds kind of corny. But that changes the world. Peter didn't have to say any more than that to change a whole community. So I say stay away. Stay away from any message or ministry. I saw some folk on TV this morning or manifestation of a church's ministry or political stuff or activities in your life that would change or distort this. Christ came, lived, died, and rose again. He is Lord, God, and Savior. And I say don't stay away from the gospel, from the giving, the hearing, the reading, through devotional books and stuff, through the testimony of others, through song and expressions of faith and community groups and prayer tribes and worship service. If they and we are declaring the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, don't stay away. Go to it. is Christ alone come and be 
And then go to others as you are because you have been called just like they are. Creepy. Common. Unclean. In yourself, unsure. Unmade, untogether, and undone, and even misunderstood. Because the God of this Bible, because of Christ alone, is a God for them too, for me too, and for us too. Amen.